Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Today's episode marks a shift in focus. We're moving on for now from the Jacob and Javier friend group, and we're going to spend a few weeks exploring the family dynamics of our victims. Becky and Vicky were survived by three of Vicky's daughters, Becky's sisters. Tanya Friedley, who at the time of the murders was working as a police officer. Jessica, or Drew Friedley, who was in the Air Force at the time living in Japan. And Becky's half-sister, Tiffany Teasdale. Tiffany is the oldest of the four and has a different father. Vicky divorced her dad, Michael Goodrick, when Tiffany was just a toddler. Vicky then married Ron Friedley in 1980. Tiffany was five years old when Ron became her stepdad. Ron and Vicky went on to have Tanya, Drew, and Becky in that order. Ron and Vicky separated in 1991, and at that time, Becky was four years old and Tiffany was 16. Tiffany also moved out of the house at that point, but she didn't go with Ron. I'm actually not positive where she moved to, but in 1994, Vicky started dating Chuck Koontz, and that relationship didn't last very long. That's the mysterious Chuck that we talked about several months ago. Now, that relationship didn't last very long, and it was around 1995 when Becky began dating John Hayward. Tiffany was 20 at the time, and Becky was 7 years old. Tiffany always maintained a relationship with Chuck after the breakup, and in 2003, she actually moved in with him along with her 3-year-old son. Chuck lived in Newhall, which is north of L.A., about a a 2.5-hour drive from the Coachella Valley. Becky ended up moving in with Chuck and Tiffany a year later in 2004, and she went to school in Newhall for her senior year. Tiffany was interviewed by police three days after the murders on September 20th. The interview is long, it's over an hour, and I really wanted you guys to hear it. Unfortunately, the audio is absolutely terrible. It's pretty much unlistenable. So rather than make you suffer through that, I'll be breaking down the interview in today's episode. And for those of you who are gluttons for punishment, I'll be posting the full audio interview as a bonus episode later this week. But today, we get our first real look into the Friedley family dynamics. This is Season 12, Episode 30, Tiffany. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. 
From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's not going to be much in the way of analysis in this episode. There'll be some, but not a lot. Because there's really not a lot for me to analyze. This is just Becky's sister telling Detective Bumpensero her experiences. We'll definitely be discussing what all of this means in the Friday follow-up, but for today, I'm mostly just going to share the main points of the interview, and I'll be commenting on a few things that triggered some new avenues of investigation for us. And I'll be writing this episode in real time as I read the transcript, so there won't be any spoilers. All right, let's get started. Tiffany begins by sharing that she talked to her mom on the phone around 2 or 3 in the afternoon on the day of the murders. And this, of course, sent me right down a two-hour rabbit hole. Tiffany's number does not appear on the Freely Landline records for the entire weekend. So that's thing one, which actually isn't surprising at all because we have other confirmed instances where calls from the landline that we know occurred don't show up on the landline records. But in my search for Tiffany's phone number, I saw that we still had one unknown call to the Freely landline on Sunday at 3.48 p.m. that we haven't identified yet. So after a bit of searching, I was able to find out that that call actually came from John's ex-wife's cell phone, which then got me wondering, why would she be calling? So I thought maybe it was John's son Robbie calling him on his mom's phone. So I went to Robbie's interview transcript, and sure enough, he says that he called his dad on Sunday afternoon and he was living with his mom at the time. But he also says that he has his own cell phone and his own number. So then I went to his mom's interview to see if maybe my search was wrong and it was actually the landline. And nope, the landline was a different number. So you're going to hear that Tiffany talked about calls that don't appear on the records. But the records don't show every call, so who knows there? And Robbie said he called his dad on Sunday afternoon and the only call that could have been his is actually from his mother's cell phone. And the icing on the cake, I checked John and Vicky's cell records to see if maybe there was a call there, and there is an incoming call at 2.12 p.m. on Sunday. It was just for 54 seconds, and there's no way to tell if it was answered or if Vicky had service. And best of all, wait for it, there are pages missing from her records, and the section that I have doesn't show the incoming phone call numbers. And mostly, I'm just telling you all this so that you know why it takes me so long to write an episode. One sentence sends me down a rabbit hole for hours. So now that I've explained that I was not able to verify any calls to her from Tiffany, I'm going to go ahead and move on with her interview. Tiffany said she talked to her mom on the phone, quote, at least five times over Saturday and Sunday, end quote the last call being at 2 or 3 in the afternoon on Sunday. She says that her cousin Monique had just had a baby on Thursday and Vicky wanted to go out to Newhall and see it. She says that Vicky had been going through menopause and on Saturday she said to Tiffany, quote, I'm hemorrhaging and you, you know it's so much blood it's unreal. End quote. Tiffany says she urged her to go see a doctor because she has insurance, but Vicky kept saying she was fine. Tiffany even offered to drive down to get her and take her to the hospital but Vicky declined. Then she gets into what she thinks was strange about the whole plan to visit her from the get-go. I'll read the exchange straight from the transcript. This is Tiffany speaking. Quote, 
And I kept urging her and urging her to go to the doctor. And she's like, no, it's okay. I'll be okay. And I was like, I'll drive down there. I'll take you, whatever it is. And because she was supposed to come up to my house on Saturday, because she had said, I'd really like to come up. She never mentioned the baby, which was really weird to me. She said, I really, really would love to come up, but I need somewhere to stay. And I said, okay, well, you can stay here with me. And she was like, okay. And she jumped at the chance. And that's kind of a weird thing because my mom and I have a strained relationship. I mean, it's loving, it's there, but it's just not close. And my mom's never been. Then Bump and Sarah interrupts here. Close being you don't talk about everything or. Then Tiffany comes back in. Right. And we don't communicate a whole lot. Bump and Sarah. How often do you guys talk? Tiffany. I mean, for like. Just recently, I mean, gosh, I mean, it would it would go like once every four or five months. I mean, it was definitely, I mean, it's been like that since I moved out at 16. It's always been that way. So, and since I've had Nathan, you know, I would think like, okay, grandma, you know. And she's never really been there. And she's never really called to see how he was. I thought maybe it would change, but it never did. It never changed. End quote. Tiffany found the sudden interest to come visit her that weekend strange. She says that her mom had never asked to stay with her before, or even come to visit her for that matter, other than one trip in June when Tiffany graduated from UCLA. But suddenly, on the weekend she was murdered, she was insisting that she would come visit and stay with Tiffany and Chuck, even though she was having medical issues at the time. It started off as a plan to see Monique's baby, but it appears that the conversation shifted to just visiting Tiffany and her son Nathan. Tiffany then explains why she's living with Chuck. She says that when he dated her mom, she and her sisters all thought Chuck was a great guy. They always kept in contact. He'd been a bachelor his whole life, and when Tiffany got accepted to UCLA, he was worried about the commute from the desert. Chuck had a big four-bedroom house all to himself, and he offered for Tiffany and Nathan to move in with him. Quote, He said, why don't you and Nathan move in? You can go to school and not have to worry about a job or any other stress. End quote. She goes on to say that there was always tension between John, Vicky's boyfriend, and Chuck. Not on Chuck's part, she says, but on John's. She says that John hated Chuck. And that's one of the reasons why Tiffany thought it was so weird that Vicky wanted to stay at Chuck's house that weekend. She says John, quote, just always couldn't stand that, end quote. She says that in the past, Tiffany would ask her mom if she would come up and visit, and she never would because of the tension between John and Chuck. From the transcript, quote, Tiffany. And it's always been, you know, like pulling teeth. Whereas this time it was like, I really need somewhere to stay. And I was like, so shocking. And I was like, okay, well, come stay with me. She's like, okay. And it was so easy. It was like, that was way too easy. And she's like, and then she said, Bumpacero jumps in. And this was your conversation on Saturday? Back to Tiffany. On Saturday, yeah, on Saturday. And she said, because I really, really want to come up and spend time with Nathan. She didn't mention the baby, which was surprising. You know, I thought that's what she would mention, and she didn't. She just kept saying she really wanted to spend time with Nathan. And this is weird, because she doesn't spend time with Nathan. The only time she spent with Nathan is, Becky lived with me for a year and a half, and I put her through her senior year of high school and everything. End quote. Tiffany then goes on to talk about why Becky moved in with her and Chuck in 2004. She says that, quote, 
Things just weren't great living with her mom, and I asked my mom if I could just take her. She could come live with me, and my mom agreed, and it was really fantastic for her. I mean, she went from like C's and D's to straight A's. And you know, got her driver's license and started modeling and acting and tons of friends and a whole new ballgame for her. It was great. End quote. Tiffany says that she always had a parent-type role with Becky. Her being the oldest of four and Becky being the youngest. And when she moved in with her, Becky had everything she needed without struggle. The list of those things that she gives is interesting. Quote, She just always had food and clothing and whatever she needed. Senior pictures, yearbook. I mean, it was never a struggle, never an issue. End quote. It seems like she's implying that it was a struggle to even have food and clothing when she was at her mom's house. Bumpensero circles back to talking about Tiffany's conversation with Vicky on Sunday. She says that she was still urging her mom to go to a doctor and that Vicky was refusing. And then Vicky told her that she wouldn't be able to make the visit. She was, quote, tired and this and that, end quote. But Vicky told her that she really wanted to go on her next couple days off from work, which Tiffany said would be Thursday and Friday. She says that conversation happened sometime around 2.30 in the afternoon on Sunday. And right after she hung up, Tiffany says that she called her Aunt Yvette to tell her how weird it was that Vicky was insisting on spending the night at her house and spending time with her son. Even though she had pushed the trip back to Thursday, she was still insisting she was going to come. And Tiffany goes on to say that she's kicking herself for not digging deeper when her mom ended the conversation Sunday with, quote, I really need to get out of here, end quote. Tiffany reveals that she and her mom had a strained relationship because of Ron. And she alludes to the fact that Bump and Sarah would know what she meant. She says, quote, Our relationship is strained because of Ron, and I'm sure you know the whole situation. That's why our relationship is so strained. End quote. And Bump and Sarah responds with, Uh-huh. And then Tiffany continues on to say that things seemed okay when she got off the phone with her mom on Sunday, but, quote, She was very good at keeping things a secret. My mom, to be honest, she lived in... She didn't quite live in reality. She... She really, I don't know if it was mental, slight mental problem. My whole family knows. She's just kind of delusional about reality in a way. End quote. She goes on to say that her mom would, in one moment, tell her that she and John had, quote, tons of money and that they're fine. And then the next time she'd talk, she'd ask Tiffany to pay her mortgage for her. And that seems to track, because if you remember, their bank records show that they were often late on their mortgage payments. We talked about that months ago. So Tiffany says that her mom kept telling her that they're fine, but, quote, Then I find out from my sister that they didn't have propane for the last four months, and they have cold showers and, you know, no gas to cook with. And then I would call out the gas man to fill up the whole propane tank. And so she lived in a delusional kind of world. And money has always been a delusional world for her. End quote. Next, Bump and Sarah moves on to asking Tiffany about John. And this is what Tiffany had to say. Quote, So, he's very controlling. Very. He has extremely explosive personality. Becky denied this as she got older, but you know, from my psychology training, people try to change bad events to make themselves feel better. So years later, her story changed. But she'd called me many times when my mom first dated him and he moved in. She had bruises. And there was, you know, he definitely was handling her very rough. End quote. 
She goes on to say that her sisters didn't care for John either. She says that when John moved in, Tanya moved out and went to live with Ron, her dad. Quote, She hated the man, couldn't stand him, wanted to have nothing to do with him. She moved out. End quote. So that left just Becky and her sister Drew at home. Then Tiffany says that Drew was there for a little while, and then she moved out too, leaving just Becky. Quote, So Becky was the one that was there, and she called me every time he was screaming and yelling at, I could hear him screaming and yelling at her in the background. She had, one time she had a bruise on her arm. He just grabbed so hard. She like, and Bumpancero interrupts. Did she tell you that he grabbed her on the arm? Back to Tiffany. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, she would tell me everything. And it was, it was pretty bad. And I knew that. And I felt like, you know, I stood up to him, you know. Here, he's hurting my sister, and, I mean, it ruined our relationship after that. And he just hated me, and I've never had a problem with him. But I was going to stand up for my sister that, you know, wasn't saying anything either, and he tried to control me and boss me around and tell me what I could and couldn't do. And I'm like, excuse me, but I'm an adult, and I don't live in this house, and you're not going to tell me what I can and can't do. End quote. Tiffany doesn't have really anything nice to say about John. She explains that he worked under the table as a handyman. And remember when we heard from his boss several months ago, he told police that John would always cash his checks rather than deposit them. And Tiffany says that that was because if he got a normal job, they would garnish his wages to pay for his alimony and child support. So he worked for cash to avoid all that. And that also checks out with what we've heard from John's ex, who said that he never paid any child support until they got that $10,000 check from Ron about a year before the murders. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As the interview goes on, Tiffany keeps circling back around to John as Bumpancero is asking questions about how long it's been since she's seen her mom. She says that Vicky had told her that John used to be an alcoholic and have a bad drug problem. She doesn't know any specifics about what kinds of drugs, but says that John's kids also told her that things were not good when John was married to their mom. Bumpancero then asks about John's friends, and this was Tiffany's response. Quote, I'm not kidding. I didn't think this man had any friends. I've never seen him with anyone else. He's always at the house, and if he's not at the house, then supposedly he's at work, which wasn't very often, so he always stuck around the house, and I didn't really see him. End quote. Bumpancero then asks about her mom's work, but Tiffany comes right back to John. Quote, so, but this man just moved in. And my opinion was, is, 
He can't get an apartment. He can't go anywhere because they suspended his driver's license, you know. He doesn't want to pay taxes. He doesn't have any proof of income. And so when my mom accepted him, he just... Then Bump and Sarah interrupts. Where did they meet? Do you know? Back to Tiffany. I don't even know. I don't even know, but I didn't like him from the very beginning, and I didn't want him moving in. Bump and Sarah. Did he move in pretty quick after they got... Tiffany interrupts. Oh, yeah. He didn't have anywhere else to go. He saw a sucker, and he took it. Bump and Sarah. Moved in and took over? Tiffany. Yeah, just completely took over. I mean, he took over my mom's opinions, and I mean, whatever he thought, it was going to be my mom's opinion, too. And it was... it was hard. End quote. Before I move on, I just want to take a quick second here to acknowledge that we're talking about one of the victims here, and I'm actually pretty uncomfortable saying all of these negative things about him. For those of you longtime listeners, you know that that's just not something that I do. But in this case, considering that the entire family that lived at the house was killed, it's very important that we get a good understanding of the family dynamics for victimology. But I do want to point out that this is just Tiffany's opinion of John. And that's not to take anything away from anything she's saying. I think her voice needs to be heard. I just feel like I need to say this out loud that it's a difficult situation and I'm uneasy about it. And with that being said, I'll move on. Bumpensero asked Tiffany who her mom's friends were, and she says something inaudible about the neighbors up in Pinion, and then says that she really didn't have any. She says Vicky was a homebody. She didn't go out to lunch with friends or really do anything. She would talk to people while she was at work and then just go home. She can only think of three people that Vicky was friends with. A woman named Donna, who Vicky ran into at a wedding. Apparently, they were old friends and hadn't seen each other in a few years, and they chatted at this wedding. And then there used to be a woman who lived in Pinion Pines named Janice. When Tiffany was living up there, she remembered Janice and her mom going out for bagels in the mornings. And she remembers a woman named Linda who had a business fixing computers with her husband. Tiffany says she remembers her mom keeping up with Linda regularly, but of course she doesn't really know what Vicky's been up to recently. And she clarifies at the end of the friends list that her relationship with her mom was very superficial. They just weren't close at all, so she's probably not the best source of information about Vicky's friends. Bump and Sarah asks if John and Vicky did drugs, and Tiffany says it's just her opinion, but she believes that they were. She says that her mom had told her that she did all sorts of drugs before she had kids. And as Tiffany puts it, quote, She was a hippie at heart, and that's, you know, that's how she grew up. So any hard drugs, I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if she was into pot. End quote. She goes on to say that she wouldn't be surprised at all if John was into heavier drugs, but again, that's just her speculating. When asked about Becky's drug use, Tiffany says that she and Drew used to smoke pot a few years ago. She recounts an argument that the two of them had at her house, where both of them were talking about smoking weed. Tiffany then took it upon herself to tell the entire family that her sisters were smoking pot. She says that she's never done any drugs, so it seemed like a big deal to her. And then we find out that Becky didn't quite share quite as much with Tiffany as Tiffany thinks. She says that she wanted to nip Becky's pot problem in the bud after that argument three or four years before the murders. Quote, And after that happened, she never touched it again. And I know because Becky told me everything. I mean, she had a really big mouth, so she couldn't keep anything quiet. End quote. Now, we know that's not true. Not only did all of Becky's friends admit that she smoked pot regularly, but there was THC present in her blood at her autopsy. Now, I'm not saying that Tiffany's lying here, 
I'm just saying that Becky knew that Tiffany didn't like her smoking pot, and so seems like she just didn't tell her that she was smoking pot. Tiffany said that the last time she spoke with Becky was about a week prior to her death. She said that they had had an argument the Sunday before. I'm not sure I totally understand what she's saying, but it sounds like Tiffany had just found out that Becky had told some kind of lie to the father of Tiffany's son years ago. Tiffany found out and she called Becky to tell her that she was upset with her, and that's why they hadn't spoken in a week. Becky was giving Tiffany time to cool off, at least that's the way Tiffany sees it. Typically, she says, they speak several times a day, up to 10 times a day, every day. Next up, Bump and Sarah wants to hear about Becky's boyfriends, and right off the bat, we get confirmation that Javier definitely wasn't making up what Becky told him about Gray. Now, if you listen to the bonus episode that I posted this week, then you would have heard Becky's friend Brandon tell police that Becky also told her about Gray and his temper, and Tiffany has some firsthand experience with him. Bumpatero asks her if Becky ever mentioned any problems with any boyfriends, and she says, quote, No, the only one we had a problem with at all was a guy named Gray, and she had brought him up to the house one time, and as soon as he got there, he got into a big fight with me, and I was like, what a jerk. I mean, he's supposed to be making a good impression, end quote. She says that Becky and Gray broke up at the beginning of summer, and since then, he's made several attempts to call Becky to try to get her back. From there, she moves on to Jacob. She thinks Becky had been dating him for around four months at the time of the murders. But as we'll discuss a little bit later, she does get the boyfriends confused. She says there were several of them, and Becky would tell her things, and she gets mixed up who was who. So it doesn't surprise me that she doesn't know exactly how long Becky was dating Jacob, but she thinks it was for four months. She doesn't say much about him, just that she met him once when he and Becky went up to San Diego. Bumpatero asks who she dated before Jacob, and Tiffany says Gray. Then he asks about Robert. She says that Robert begged Becky not to go when she moved to Newhall. But according to Tiffany, Becky wanted to get out of her living situation. She wanted a better life, and so she went. Then she says that Robert asked Becky to be his girlfriend while she was living in Newhall. She says that he came up to visit her multiple times, as mom would drive him up there. And Tiffany drove Becky down to the valley to see Robert several times as well. And this is how Tiffany describes Robert. Quote, Yeah, so Robert was a very sweet, very nice... Bump and Sarah interrupts her. She's never said anything about any of these guys that you know something happened or they're into some shady things or anything like that. Tiffany. No, I, I know with Gray, he would just go days without calling her and she'd be like, what's going on? I said, Becky, it's not right. There's something fishy. Something's not right. End quote. And that's all we get about Robert, other than later on in the interview, Tiffany reiterates the fact that she thinks Robert was a good guy and he was sweet. But here she goes on to explain what the fight with Gray was all about, the fight that she mentioned earlier. She said that it was overtaking separate cars to the beach. They were all going to the beach, and he wanted himself and Becky to take his car alone along with Nathan, Tiffany's son. Tiffany argued the point and said they could all drive together, they're going to the same place, and he said that he can't because he's claustrophobic. She said he can sit in the front seat and open a window, and he said, well, he's a smoker. But Becky, again, wanted Nathan to ride with them, so Tiffany said he can't smoke with Nathan in the car, and Gray said, okay, that was fine. She says it got heated from there. She was pissed because he was saying that he can't go 45 minutes in the car without smoking, but had no problem making the drive without smoking with Nathan in the back seat. She mostly found the whole situation odd because it was the first time they had met, and she figured that he would have wanted to make a good impression. He didn't. 
the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. As the interview goes on, Bump and Sarah spends a lot of time trying to figure out who's sharing stuff with the press. This interview was conducted on Wednesday the 20th. At this point, the Sheriff's Department hadn't given any information to the media, but it sounds like they were running stories with partial info that they got from Tiffany and Ron Friedley. They're talking about identifying the bodies and dental records. Remember, at that point, none of the victims had been positively identified. They hadn't even told the press that it was a murder yet. And from there, Bumpensero asks about life insurance. Tiffany says that she doubts they had any. She reminds him again that Vicky was so strapped for money that she would often call her and ask her to pay the mortgage for her or to fill the propane tank. She says that she doubts they had the extra cash to pay for a life insurance policy. As far as Tiffany knows, there is none. And if a policy does exist, she says it would have to be something that was provided to Vicky through her work. Then the conversation comes back to Bumpensero asking Tiffany if she knew any friends that her mom and John hung out with. And she again says she has no idea what's been going on recently, but she says that years ago her mom would occasionally hang out with the Janice that I mentioned earlier who lived up in Pinion. She says that there was a group of people up in Pinion Pines that did like a home church or fellowship. They would meet at someone's house and a guy named Gary Mock would lead the fellowship. He apparently was a pastor at an actual church somewhere else. And she says that Vicky and Janice usually were in attendance. And then Vicky talks about some of the neighbors. And this part I'll read right from the transcript. Quote, And you know, the only other people that we were close to is Sharon Coleman next door. If you're looking at the house on the left side of the log cabin, and we've known her for years. And then the house on the right, when we had that huge fire up there, our neighbor's house burned down. That was Ed and Inaudible. I just recently found out that they had sold the place and someone else is living there, but I still have contact with them. But I haven't contacted them since this, and they were extremely close to us. And he talked to my mom about letting me go to Palm Desert High School. And he took me to school every single day and took me home every single day. And I spent many nights at their house, lots of time with them. He gave me away at my wedding. I'm very, very close to them. So I don't know if my mom ever talked to them. End quote. Next, Bumpensero asked if Vicky or John had problems with any neighbors up in Pinion. And this is what Tiffany remembers from the transcript. We had that one big incident with Trapini. Ron had this relationship with him. I don't know why, but I think I know why. But he could get guns and things that Ron collected that, you know, secretively or whatever. And so he kind of kept the channels open with Trapini. And Ron was very upset one day when I denied a collect call from him. He was calling from jail, and he was very mad. 
He told me it was because he had a connection for some type of gun that he wanted, and... Bump and Sarah interrupts. How long ago was this? Tiffany. I think probably like 10 or 12 or something. Our house had been broken into, but before that... Bump and Sarah. So like almost 20 years ago? Tiffany. Yeah. Bump and Sarah. And then mid-80s? Tiffany. And I don't know what happened to him ever. I just knew that he was in jail because he had shot a cop and killed him. Trapini did. Then I guess it was Bonaventura's brother or something? Like a political guy? I don't know. But Ron would go over there quite often. This guy lived in a trailer not too far from us, and right after the the robbery, he didn't break into the rest of the house, which the door was open. He only broke into the garage and took all kinds of stuff from the garage. But in our garage, you walk up three steps and you can open the door right into the house. He never went in. He never went into the house. Bumpincero. Are you saying Trapini did this? Tiffany. Yeah. Bumpincero. And you know that for sure? Tiffany. Yeah. Bumpincero. He was... He was arrested and... Tiffany interrupts. Oh, yeah. And so when he came to... Because... But, you know, Ron would take him dinner all the time. My mom would make, make an extra plate. He always wanted to bring him food, and I guess they came to confront him, and they were going to arrest him for the robbery of our house... And he shot and killed a police officer that night. End quote. I don't know anything about the robbery, but I do have a series of newspaper articles regarding the shooting incident. As the story goes, just like Tiffany said, Ron Friedley was friends with this John Trapini guy. Back in 1987, Trapini, who was later determined to be a paid criminal informant for the Riverside Sheriff's Department, ambushed Daniel D. Bonaventura while he was out riding his three-wheeler on Dunn Road behind the Friedley's house back there in the mountains. That's the one that goes all the way into Cathedral City. Bonaventura was shot 11 times, and another bystander who was riding his dirt bike on Dunn Road was also hit in the arm by what appears to have been a stray bullet. After murdering Bonaventura, Trapini then went over to Ron Friedley's house. He sat with Ron for a bit before Ron took him back down to his house where police were waiting for him. The article's unclear if Ron knew the police were waiting for him or if he was just taking him back home. Now, in this week's follow-up, I fielded some questions about whether something as simple as a marijuana grow could result in a homicide. Well, evidently it can. So according to the newspaper, this whole incident began because Trapini, who again was a CI for the Sheriff's Department, ratted Bonaventura out to police for his marijuana grow operation in Pinion Pines. Then, in retaliation, Bonaventura allegedly set Trapini's house on fire, a blaze that gutted the residents. And then, in retaliation for that, Trapini shot and killed Bonaventura and shot an innocent bystander in the process. Bumpincero goes on to ask Tiffany if her mom ever strayed from John. Tiffany says there's just no way. She was far too dedicated to him. The way she saw it, this was because John was so controlling. According to Tiffany, John controlled what Vicky did, who she saw, where she went, and even her political views. Tiffany blames John for pulling Vicky away from her whole family. She says that before John was in the picture, her mom used to go visit her in Santa Barbara all the time. But once John moved in, Tiffany never saw Vicky anymore unless she went up to their house to pick up her sisters. Next, he asked Tiffany if she was aware of her mom getting any large sums of money. The only thing Tiffany was aware of was that Vicky had refinanced the house that year to get a lower payment. She wasn't aware of any other financial windfalls of any kind. 
But then a few minutes later, the retirement money comes up. Pumponcero asked her if her mom ever mentioned anything about paying off John's debts. Tiffany says, quote, Oh yeah, and I was very mad about that. I told her, absolutely not. You're not doing that. When my mom turns 65, she's supposed to get the retirement settlement of whatever money was due from the divorce from Ron. And she said when they get the money, she was going to take like $10,000 or something and pay off John's debt. And I said, what? You're not going to do any such thing. Bump and Sarah. What was the debt for? Tiffany. She said it was from all the alimony and the child support and some other debts. And I was like, wow. And I just, I just told, I put my foot down. And I said, you are not paying off these debts. Absolutely not. I'm not going to let you do it. This is going to be the biggest mistake of your life. I said, you're going to pay off his debt. He's going to be home free. And the first thing he's going to do is walk out that door. Because now he can get his own apartment. He can get a job. He can get whatever else. And he'll use you to pay off the debt. And then he'll walk out the door. I said, you will not pay it off. And then I went between, well... Maybe it would be better to get rid of him, you know, or maybe, maybe she should pay off his debt. And then he, we could get him out the door, so, but I never said that to her. I actually was like, Mom, this is your money. End quote. She continues on about John and the money for a little while, and it seems like she meant Vicky would get the money at 55, not 65. A few lines down further... She says that her mom hadn't received the money yet that she was owed from Ron's retirement because she was a year and a few months away from turning 65, and that's when she's supposed to get it. But Vicky was 53 when she was killed. She was a year and a few months away from being 55, not 65. This next part, I'm not exactly sure what Tiffany's talking about. I actually think I know, but I don't want to speculate until I have all the facts, so I'll just read it to you right from the transcript. Quote, And then, you know, the other, you know, huge event that happened last summer was the whole investigation of Ron and, you know, the FBI and, you know, that was a huge thing. The FBI came and talked to her and they confirmed the whole story. And, you know, the FBI told me that the DA's office completely believed the story. They know it's true, but my mom wasn't a credible enough witness. So she told them the exact story that I told them. And so, I mean, it was confirmed. Bump and Sarah. Okay. Tiffany. And so that was, that was pretty huge, you know. That's the reason my sister moved back here with my mom and was, she was really torn between really loving me, but me saying we sent you these allegations against her dad, and even though her dad's never really had a relationship with her either, it's still her dad. And so she was really torn, and she needed a neutral place to go. So she moved out. And you know, other than that, I... You know, that was the last, the biggest thing. I mean, other than that, I don't, I don't have anything else. It's just crazy. End quote. Pumponcero seems to know exactly what she's talking about. He doesn't ask a single question about the FBI investigation. He just says, okay, and uh-huh. And I really wish I knew if by last summer, Tiffany meant the summer of 2005, a year before, or 2006, just a few months before. As the conversation continues, Tiffany is speculating about what happened. She says that when she heard that a body was found outside, she knew it had to be Becky. Because Becky, quote, had balls. She says that her sister was a fighter, and she figures she must have jumped out the window during the fire. 
And then things get a little weird. Tiffany says that she then found out that it was a murder, and Bumpancero immediately wants to know who told her that. They hadn't released that information yet. And then Tiffany says that she won't reveal her source. And then she goes on to say that she was told that one of the bodies was in a wheelbarrow in the backyard. But again, she won't say who told her that, and Bumpancero doesn't push the issue. After that, there's a lot of Bumpancero explaining that they don't have any answers yet. And then Tiffany mentions that she saw a picture of the crime scene on the news that day, and I think this could be important. On the news, they were showing trash on the ground and kind of dogging the investigators for leaving it behind. But Tiffany says that when she saw the picture on the news, she noticed a picture that she could clearly see of Robert Pape that was in the pile of trash. And this is the interesting part. Pompanzaro is defending the investigation, and he says, quote, They didn't show you... They didn't back up three feet and show you where that stuff is on the ground. That's right next to the dumpster. The dumpster is overflowing. End quote. Now here's why I find this interesting. The only piece of forensic evidence tying Robert and Christian to the crime scene was that business card found hundreds of yards away from the actual crime scene out in the desert. I've been pondering with the idea that the card could have just blown off that pile of trash by the dumpster. There had been winds out of the south that weekend, so it would make sense. That's right where it would blow if it blew off that pile. I originally thought it was possible because in Jacob's interview, he says that Becky would never let him come to the house because her room was always a mess. But he says that just recently, before the murders, Becky told him that she had cleaned out her room so he could come over. That made sense to me that if she was cleaning out her room for her boyfriend to come over, that she might have gotten rid of some old stuff, especially anything related to her ex-boyfriend. And now we find out that outside on the ground next to the dumpster was a picture of Robert. There are plenty of conclusions that can be drawn from that, but I think it led some credibility to the idea that Becky had vacated anything Robert related from her bedroom shortly before the murders and threw it outside in the trash. And I think it's absolutely possible that the business card went out the door right along with the photo. The last thing that I want to cover today from Tiffany's interview is actually something she said back when she was talking about Gray. Pompanzaro asked Tiffany where Becky met Gray, and Tiffany's trying to remember. She gets confused because Becky had told her about several boyfriends, and she has a hard time keeping them straight. Let me read you the exchange that got my attention. Pompanzaro, quote, Was this Gray some kid that she met at school down here or up there or... Tiffany, She met him out here. And she, I guess, I think he worked at, like, the Cheesecake Factory. Or he worked somewhere. Oh, no, no, no. Sometimes I get these guys confused. Teenager's life. He did some, he worked for some company, and I, it had something to do with houses, or, I don't know. I don't know what it was. But she said he, you know, inaudible, and was making great money. And and she just thought, for 19, he was just so successful. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, you know, sure, you know. End quote. Tiffany was actually right the first time. Gray did work at the Cheesecake Factory. But what honestly kind of blew my mind is that Tiffany says she has trouble keeping the boyfriend straight, so she's talking in the context of Becky's boyfriends, and she describes one of them as being a successful 19-year-old that works for a housing company and makes good money. That's not Gray. It's not Robert. It's not Jacob. It's not even Alex. 
but it does perfectly describe one person that we've covered in our investigation. A guy who was 19 years old at the time of the murders, who worked for a home appraisal company and bragged about making really good money for his age. And that guy was Austin Alba. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design, and you can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Fiola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I can be found personally on all forms of social media at BobRuffTruth. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. You've seen the film. You know the game. Now, Jumanji just got real. Only at Jessington World of Adventures. Featuring Daredevil Dad, Mom on a Mission, and the kids who can't wait to ride the world's first Jumanji roller coaster. An epic adventure awaits. World of Jumanji. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Book this summer's must-do day out at Chessington.com.